Hello, and welcome to Co-OpCast, your one-stop for cooperative game news and reviews. On this week's design discussion, game designers Peter Gusis and Michael Kelly will discuss a board game and have a related design discussion. Hi, I'm Peter, and I'm here with Mike. Hey, everybody. Today, we're covering Discover Lands Unknown from Fantasy Flight Games. And our design discussion is going to be about this new thing that Fantasy Flight's doing, which are these disposable games, or unique games, I guess, is more uh, like it. They're not really disposable. I mean, you might want to throw it in the trash. We'll have to see how our review pans out. (laughs) (laughs) But before we get into either of those discussions, Mike and I wanted to comment a little bit on the review Steve and Elijah did last week about Nemesis. We actually got a chance to play it this weekend as well and thought we'd share our ideas on it. So, Mike, why don't you get started? Yeah, so overall, I agreed with a lot of the points in there. I was definitely a bit more on Berndt's side when it came to some of the things Steve and Elijah complained about. I really like the combat system and not knowing when you'll defeat the alien. I thought that was really uh, part of the good, like, tense theme of the game. And even though it's a little bit of a thematic crutch, I didn't mind not knowing where the stuff is in the like map because, again, for the game to kind of function as intended, you need to have a hidden map and you need to slowly find out what's in the ship. I mean, maybe they could have had you landing on the ship from another ship and it got blown up right at the beginning and then you were stuck on this new ship and you didn't know the layout. There, there might have been some other way for them to kind of make it work. But I think they also wanted to clearly... Uh, ape the theme of the original Alien movie where they're on a ship and these aliens are coming on and they have to self-destruct it at the end. So, you know, it is what it is. But I I definitely didn't mind much of that stuff. Yeah, now, some of the other points I agreed with them on, like, player elimination is just the worst. And especially when we played, we didn't play it co-op, we played it semi-cooperatively. Although, to be honest, we were all cooperating until the end. It turns out all our objectives that we ended up choosing ended up working together just fine. But... Player elimination does stink, especially if you get eliminated early. Now, I do think they have a mechanic in the game where if you are eliminated early, you take over control of the aliens. I don't know how fun that would be because it never happened to us. But, I mean, if done well, it could be cool. I mean, I I can't imagine it done well. They've seen other games. Like, there's been a lot of co-ops in the past that have had a non-co-op mode that would let you kind of control the enemies. Like, I'm thinking of the very old Lord of the Rings Reiner Knizia game. They had the second expansion that did that. And in every case, like, the balance is terrible because if you have a player making intelligent decisions, you either have to nerf all their options to keep the balance around where it is, or they just totally railroad, like, straight over the players, so... Yeah, it makes sense. I don't see any... Yeah, I think uh, Legendary Encounters Alien had the same kind of thing where you could, like, become the alien... Who cares, man? <laughs> like, just take out some modes in your game. I wouldn't even mind if this game was just pure semi-co-op, even though I don't like semi-co-op in general. Yeah, absolutely. Although, again, the same problem persists. If you get eliminated in the first five minutes of the game, and now you got to sit around for hours, that's no fun either. So, Sure, sure. I mean, having it, at least something for them to do is not bad. But I did like the combat system, as you said. I mean, that I was totally anti-Steven Elijah on. I really thought it was a neat system. I think it is, like you said, one of the things that makes this game unique, never knowing if you're doing enough damage. And it's not like that range was infinite either. I think we figured it out. It was anywhere from, like, two to six on the cards. So, I mean, there is a point where you are going to kill it, you know, when you do a certain amount of damage, unless it ends up running away from you, which was also a pretty neat mechanic. So... I don't know. I really like the combat system, and I thought it led to that feeling of being in an alien movie, where they're just these unknown creatures, where you don't know how much damage you've done to them. You don't know what's going to happen next, but all done in a pretty clean system. So I like that. Also, the noise tokens and the ship. I agree with you on the ship. They could have solved that problem just by making it a different ship. I, I don't know why thematically they have you not remembering your own ship. That's a little silly. Yeah, I mean, I, I agree with you. I agree with but you. But bottom line is it didn't take away from my enjoyment of the game either. And same with the noise counters. Call them whatever you want. I thought it was a really unique system and a really neat system and a really cool way of making you think differently about your tactical movement on the board. So I don't care if you call it a noise token, whatever you want to call it. I love how they stayed there and, you know, as soon as the room popped, then they would all go away. So that was a way to kind of clear the way. You know, if you knew you were going to trigger a room 
bringing in an alien, sometimes we would like run somebody in there just to trigger it so the rest of us could safely move into that room. So yeah, they, they did a lot of things right, I think, there. So I mean, the one thing that they didn't mention, which bothered me the most about the game, was the length. Yeah, it didn't seem too long to me, but it's certainly not a short game. My big concern wasn't the length. My big concern is a lack of variety in the gameplay, because this is a big, long, thematic game. It's not like something, you know, like I don't mind that Pandemic doesn't have much variety because you can play it pretty quickly and you've got like the cool Euro strategy going on. But in a game that's more kind of random and based on theme like this, the fact that I'm always on the same ship, I'm going to see generally the same kind of objectives, the exact same enemies, the same kind of stuff happening. I just worry, you know, I haven't played it enough to see this, but I worry that the game won't have the legs I would want it to have. Yeah, and just so everybody knows, this is an initial impression from both of us. So I think we all fall in. You know, we may disagree on the little points here or there, but I think we all fall in in the same spot, which is is a fun game to play. I really enjoyed playing it, but I don't know that I need to own it. No, no, I agree. It's it's a try before you buy, absolutely, for me. Thematically, though, I I think we all agree on this also. It, It was really neat, and it was really fun to play. So if you do like that alien theme, I would certainly go out and try it. But, you know, there's enough red flags there that I would be cautious about purchasing it in the end of the day. Absolutely. All right, with Nemesis out of the way, let's talk about our game for today, Discover Lands Unknown. All right, so I will get into the theme, which is a little bit interesting in this one because every box you buy is completely different. And I guess that's the part I'll kind of focus on. So when you buy this, there are different terrains that you can get in the box and you don't know what you're getting. So Fantasy Flight came up with a method of basically randomizing these boxes and they have a certain amount of terrain. I think it's five of them overall. I think it's six. Yeah, so there are five or six terrains, but you're only going to get two of them every time you buy it. And each time you buy a box, you're going to get a different two potentially, or you may get one of the same and one different. So it's completely randomized, along with the events and things in the box are completely randomized as well. Now, I do know that there have to be certain events in the game, so maybe there's like one of each of certain cards, and then you'll get duplicates of other cards as well. So that's kind of the like niche behind the game. Now, as far as the theme goes, in every one of them, you're going to kind of wake up after being knocked out with very little food and water, and it's a survival game. So you are trying to survive in whatever type of environment you're in, and then each mission will also have different objectives. It's usually trying to find certain spots on the board and maybe even defeating certain certain monsters, and basically trying to survive till the end of the mission. So Mike, with that being said, why don't you get into the uh, rules overview? Yeah, so the kind of key thing of the game is that you have a day and a night phase. And during the day phase, you'll spend stamina, that's your main resource in the game, to perform actions. Most actions only take one stamina. You've got a maximum of 12, which is what you start with. And you'll move around, you'll pick up resources, you can light fires, invent things, fight enemies, fish, gain water, gain food, all this stuff. But again, it pretty much just all comes down to spending your stamina. And at the end of each turn, you have the night phase where you draw a night card. And generally, most commonly, they'll make you either spend one food or spend one water. If you can't, you take one damage. And they'll have other events like maybe spawning monsters or having other negative things happen to you or even positive things sometimes like adding resources to the board. And damage is the main way to lose the game. If you ever get four points of damage from starvation or dehydration or whatever, then you lose. And also each night phase you'll get some stamina back, which will let you have more actions in the day phase. And that's the basic kind of gist of the game. There's a lot of like little variations within there. There's fires that can make you safer at night and also let you cook your food. You each have unique characters with a special power, and you also have a different set based on uh, the version of the game you get of items you can kind of research and find and build. But that's that's generally the, the basics of it. All right, so let's get right into it. We're going to do our top five things about the game, starting with our least important and going to our most important. So I'll start out first. My number five is that stamina system you talked about. You know... When I was coming up with the top five, sometimes you have an easier time and sometimes a harder time. I really think for this game, they have a lot of unique systems in the game. And the stamina system is one of them. It's very much like an action point system that you get in most games. A lot of terrain you try to move over costs you one stamina. Some cost you two. Some even cost you three. But 
Every action is basically going to cost you one stamina to do if you want to explore a place, whatever else. And it's just a neat way of tracking your amount of things you can do in a turn. And it doesn't become overburdening because they have this little dial at the bottom of your character sheet where you're just going to dial it down every single time you take an action. So I thought it was really neat how they use that action point system to really determine what you do on each turn. And if you don't want to do all your actions in a turn, that's fine. You save them till the next turn. However many you didn't do, you'll get. The only key is if you get too much stamina back, then you are going to cap out at that 12 maximum stamina. But that's typically never a problem because there's a lot to do in the game. So I haven't found myself hoarding stamina from turn to turn. But I really like the stamina system and how it kind of gives you a limit on what you can do, but still gives you a lot of freedom at the same time. Yeah, I'll touch on that a little later, but my number five is a con, and that's the scenarios and sort of the overarching campaign. I have a few complaints about this, so I don't know if we said this yet, but there are four scenarios that you can play either sort of semi-co-op or co-op, and then they have a fifth scenario that's pure competitive. That one I haven't played, but I've played all the co-op scenarios, at least in my version of the game. And the four scenarios sort of have a story that goes together. Mine definitely does. But the weird thing is that, first of all, they expect you to play a different survivor in each game, so the story doesn't really feel cohesive. It's like you see little episodes that are vaguely related to each other, but there's no, like, characters you can root for throughout. You just keep on having people who randomly end up in the wilderness for no real discernible reason sometimes. So that's not ideal. The other thing that's a bigger problem is that the objectives are very samey. And again, I can only speak to the four scenarios I've played. Clearly, there's a lot of variety out there. But out of those four scenarios, only one of them is what I would call exciting and interesting and unique. The other three were variations on the exact same thing. Go somewhere, kill this thing. And that was really it. So it felt like I sort of got like one or one and a half scenarios that actually mattered. And the rest was just playing kind of the same game each time. So with the disappointment of the scenarios themselves and also kind of the overall campaign not being that engaging, this was a con that luckily some of the mechanics improved upon, so it's my number five, but definitely a weak point in the game for me. Yeah, I remember calling you when I was starting up my second mission, and I'm like, wait a minute, am I really knocked out again in the same valley I was knocked out in last time? Well, but it's not you, it's some new person. (laughs) Yeah, and when you told me the story went together, I totally did not believe you because when you start a mission, you do not feel, especially when you start that second mission, you don't feel it. And even at the end of the second one, there were a couple things tying it together, but it wasn't really till the third and fourth mission in our set where I really felt like things started to come together. And even then, like you said, because you're all these unique and individual characters, it didn't feel like I was playing through a campaign. It felt like I was watching a campaign being played through by four different groups of people. Yes, yes, exactly. Like, there are cool ways to do interlocking stories. This did none of that whatsoever. And, I mean, I wonder if to some degree it's because of the unique nature of it. And we'll get into that a little bit more in our design discussion. So my number four is the crafting system. And I really like what they did here. So at the beginning of the game, you're going to get one or two, I can't remember. I think it might even depend on player count, items that you can craft. And basically you're looking throughout the board, you'll see areas that'll have stone, that'll have wood, and you have a general idea of what's there. So they'll have a picture of stone on it, but it may not actually be stone. Or the fun ones for me were like some of the wood ones had stone on the back, like it was some kind of petrified forest or something like that. So I thought it was kind of interesting, but you have a general idea where you're going to find stuff on the board as you as you go around and explore it. And you take these items, and in order to craft something, you know exactly what you need. I might need two wood to make this bow staff, or I may need hides or rock to make this other thing. And so I found it really neat to just run around trying to get what you needed to be able to craft items. And once you've crafted it, now the whole tribe knows how to craft that item. So anybody else can craft it after that. And then you get a new idea. So you get a new one of these cards and you can start crafting another new item. So I just liked how they did that. It not only leads to your character being a little individual at the beginning because you're the only one who can craft that one item. So you're running around, hey, let me get that stone place. I need stone. And at the same time, let everybody get all the cool items by the end if they really want to spend time running around. Now, it is a race against the clock to some degree. There isn't really a timer on the game. The only timer is 
the more turns you're around, like bad stuff just keeps happening to you. So there's no way you're going to be able to survive forever. So I really like the way they did the crafting system. I thought it was a neat way to make you individual as well as making you feel like part of a team. Yeah, I agree with that 100%. It was kind of my honorable mention, I guess I would say, but I kind of like how the game handles items in general, and and you described it perfectly. My number four is a pro, and it's very similar to yours, Peter. It's a stamina system and also kind of like the freedom of actions. I won't touch on the stamina much. You covered it really well. But something I'll kind of add is that I like how the game doesn't feel too punishing, especially in the early game. And I do feel like I have a lot of freedom to kind of explore how I want to and go in the directions I want to. I'll compare this to uh, two other survival games that I enjoy, which I think are kind of the closest comparisons for this genre that I have, which are uh, Seventh Continent and Robinson Crusoe. And in both of those, I always feel like my actions are somewhat forced in a way because survival is so tight And, like, I feel like I'm literally going to die unless I take care of things right away. Like, in Seventh Continent, if you don't find your first, uh, like, hunting area very quickly, you will die. (laughs) And in Robinson Crusoe, usually you have a really strict timer on the game and you have to, like, really quickly work towards certain goals. This one, I felt like I had a lot more freedom. And combined with the very generous action system and you know i can spend only four actions this turn and save some points for next turn i felt like i had a great amount of freedom to explore so it just feels really nice and rewarding to the players in a desperate situation you still feel like you have a kind of (laughs) not relaxing journey to explore but but uh some fun with uh finding your way through the world yeah, it can be a little deceiving, though, because those event cards get worse and worse as you play through, and the later ones are just brutal. And so, yes, it does feel nice and easy early on, but the more time you waste in that phase, it definitely comes back to bite you in the butt later on in the mission, for sure. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, the times that I have not found a water source, I guess <laughs> you're right. I, I'd certainly die pretty quickly. So my number three is very similar to your number five, and it's interesting that we both have it so low because I do think it's going to come into our final thoughts in a pretty big way. Mine, I put limited replay on the game. There are basically four missions in there, and the reason I'm keeping it lower is it's funny because I do think there are more than four plays. I know that after I beat the second mission, so there are two different terrains you have. And so the first two missions are going to be on one terrain and the next two are going to be on the next terrain. After I did the second one, we were talking about it at the end. I was like, man, I was really having a hard time with this, this, and this. So it took me a couple of times to play through each of them. I didn't beat them the first time through. That's why I think there are more than four plays in the box. But you're like, oh, yeah, if you had done this, this, and this, it would have been way easier. I'm like, oh, I didn't even know that was an option. So there were certainly things in the game that I didn't discover which ironically is the name of the game. Maybe that's why they called it that. Ha 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 ha, zing. But there were certainly things in the game I didn't discover, but had I found them, they would have made my plays a lot different. And it kind of made me, after you said that, want to go back through and try to figure out where I could find those things. So I do think there is some more exploration in the game if you want to find that. But bottom line is there are really only four missions in the campaign. There's not really a way to expand it because of this unique system. And because of that, there is limited plays in the box. Now, who knows? Maybe that competitive scenario is just amazing and we'd want to play it over and over again. But each of the missions, as you said earlier, do feel kind of samey. So when I was done with it, I I was really done with it. I, I didn't want to go back and play anymore. Yeah, I think I got more plays than you. Uh, I'll talk about why in a minute, but I I definitely, I think I played the game maybe 10 times with only four scenarios, so it wasn't super limited, but that being said, I don't know if I'd ever want to play it again. Yeah, and the thing I put here, limited replayability, and the reason it's so low, even though it sounds like it's such a negative for us, is how many times do we play any game? Games I love, like Deep Madness, I've played probably eight times. I'm sure I got that many plays out of this. So, I don't know. It's kind of a weird one to say because I think there is enough replayability with the glutton of games that are coming out now for you to get some value out of it. It's just, are you getting your $60 worth? And and that I don't know. Well, but also, Deep Madness, I could see us playing another 20 times and there's still more content to explore. This does not have the same thing. (laughs) Right. So, you know, it's even like whether or not we actually play it, like whether the reality is that we play it. I think it's also the... Just the possibility and the hope of future plays is different. Definitely. 
All right, so my number three is another pro, and it does relate to your item thing, but it's kind of the general sense of survival and just how fun it is to set up systems of survival in the game. And there is good variety. I'll say this, apart from the scenarios, there is good variety in how you survive because different items coming out more quickly lets you survive differently. Different characters survive differently. I mean, a major example is I had the fisherman in my game who can get not just water, but also food he can cook from a water hole. So he was way more survivable than almost any other character. There's also a monk I had who could go without water forever and only really needed food. So the game kind of gives you the chance to set up really interesting systems of survival and be a little creative with it and kind of find different ways to survive in each game. Now I wish, and this is getting to some later points, I wish that there were more items in the game and that I wouldn't see the same items every game and I could really expand that survival creativity to a really amazing place. But as it was, it is a fun game to live in. It is a fun game to find water, find food, start starving, figure out a way to last a few more turns. Like All of that is pretty enjoyable. Yeah, no, I agree with all that. So my number two is, and I put fun combat, but I think some people will find it frustrating. (laughs) So while I thought it was fun and I thought it was pretty clever and unique, I could see how people could be frustrated. Basically what you're doing is you're rolling two D12s every time you have combat, one for you and one for the enemy. And then they'll have a stat that they wound you on. So their red stat, which is the red dice, which is their attack on you, might be six plus. So anything six plus, you're going to take a wound on. And your stat to wound them might be, let's say, eight plus. So you need an eight or better on the gray dice in order to wound them. And there were ways to help each other. So if you were in within a couple spaces of each other, you could support each other with these cards, which was really neat. And so if you had multiple people supporting you, the combat could go easier. Also, a lot of the items you were crafting would help you in combat either re-roll or add numbers to the dice or do an extra damage because some creatures had more than one wound. And then the red dice not only determined whether they hit you or not, but also where they retreated to. Because if you didn't defeat the enemy, they always retreated from combat after one round. So it was pretty quick and dirty. You just roll in two dice. I liked that there was seemingly quite a few ways to mitigate it once you had enough items. And so I I just liked how it was so quick and simple considering, you know, every action you take, you know, you might have anywhere from six to 12 of them on a turn. So each action needs to be pretty quick. So the combat couldn't have been much more robust than it was without really bogging the game down. So I thought it did a good job of being fun, including other players who are near you, and being quick enough where it didn't slow the game down. So for me, I like the combat system, but I know for other people, especially if you hate dice combat and you think you always roll badly, like I'm sure it'd be a huge negative for you. But I I thought it did well for what it was trying to do. Man, I really feel like that should have been in my list. I, listening to you talk about that, I remember how much I enjoy the combat system too, but it didn't uh, show up anywhere for me. That's your other number six. Yeah, and, and the co-op cards are really fun too, as you said. Something I like is that if you commit to the co-op helping, you're also opening yourself to the chance of being hurt by the enemy additionally. Yep. So it's kind of like a nice little cooperative risk-reward element there. So yeah, it, it, it's definitely a nice system. My number two is... Kind of similar to your number three, I think it was, at least the positives of it, and that's the sense of exploration in the game. So yes, I don't like the scenarios, but the actual exploration of the terrain is fascinating. The biggest part of this, well, first of all, there's a lot of things that are hidden. So you have these resource tokens that'll pop up on the map, and they'll have what the most likely resource is on the back, like it'll be a wood token. But when you go there, while there's a 75% chance it'll be wood, it might end up being stone. It might end up being food. It might even be like a unique event that you have to encounter. And I really like that. But the best side of the exploration for me is these landmarks that are all around the board. So these are like special locations. They have very unique art. They stand out very clearly on the map. And they have a number of like a story card you go to. But the fun thing is that most of them have um, at least two kind of branching ways to interact with that story card. So like, you know, if you go to the big tree without a flashlight, you'll have this thing happen. But if you have a flashlight, you'll have this really awesome thing happen and you'll walk away with a shotgun or a flamethrower or something. So I did. This is kind of why I got 10 plays of it. 
this is my personality, so this will not be true for every gamer, but I'm the kind of person who kind of likes to find all the nooks and cranny. I'm a kind of person who like likes to get 100% on video games and sort of discover all the things there are to find. So for this game, like I would play through the scenario over and over again until I saw everything all the landmarks had and kind of knew where the best weapons were. And then I tried to beat the scenario in like the quickest way possible with all the coolest gear on my character. So that's a lot of fun for certain types of gamers. I don't think everyone's going to appreciate it. And certainly while you'll get some fun exploration in just a couple of plays, you won't get kind of the full experience there. But for me, it definitely hit a nice exploratory kind of niche that I enjoyed. Yeah, no, that was really neat. I I did not do as much exploring as you did. I was trying to get through the first time I played, and that's the kind of gamer I am. But I can see where if you like to get lost in that, you could definitely do that in this game. All right, Peter, let's hear your big number one. All right, so my number one, and it might be yours as well because I haven't heard you talk about it, is the innovative health system. Oh, no, you know, I I sort of, uh, that was kind of part of my survival one even though I didn't mention it, but you go ahead and talk about it. Yeah, so for me, the health system is just really neat. So the way it works is you have three different dials, and there are four different ways you can get wounded. You can either get poisoned, and that usually happens like if you drink the wrong kind of water. Like You could have water that's not quite pure, so you can get poisoned from that. You also have thirst, you have hunger, and then you have these skulls, which are basically physical damage, which are almost impossible to recover. Now, hunger and thirst damage can easily be recovered. If you just get water down the road, you go ahead and drink water, that thirst damage will go away. So you have three of these dials that are all exactly the same. And as you take damage, you kind of put what kind of damage you have. And again, some of it's easier to get rid of than others. If you find medicine, you can get rid of poison. Sometimes when you have these nightly events, it'll say, turn a thirst into a skull result. And those skull results, like I said, are basically impossible to get rid of. So... If you get wounded on all three of your wound tracks and then you take a fourth wound is when you're eliminated from the game. And as Mike said, that is typically the way you lose the game. I just thought it was really unique, really clever. I like how you can get wounded and some of them can go away, but then sometimes they kind of fester and become worse so you can never get rid of them. I just thought it was really neat. You know, it's funny. We do a lot of reviews and there aren't many reviews where everything is such unique and cool systems in the game. And I think this game does that really well. I'm not getting into my final thoughts too much here. Just I thought there were really neat systems, the crafting system, the stamina system, the combat system, the health system. There was a lot of unique things. I mean, they're not, you know, groundbreaking in any way, any of them individually, but I just thought they did a real good job of putting all these systems together. And my favorite of all of them was the health system for sure. Yeah, that's my third number six. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. But no, I agree. I really love it. And something cool, this is not anything I played with, but after I had been playing the game a lot, Fantasy Flight released official fully cooperative rules, and they pretty much changed nothing because I always played the game cooperatively anyway. But they do add a rule where if somebody is dying and that same turn somebody else can get to them, they can like give them food or give them water to bring them back from the brink of death. Which is this one more like cool little cooperative element on top of an already really innovative and fun damage system. Yeah, no, that is neat. All right, but anyway, my number one. So <laughs> I kind of built a sandwich of suck for this one because all the stuff in the middle, the survival, the exploration, all that stuff is great. I love the mechanics, just like you said, Peter. But even though my number five kind of already hit on the value not being great in the game with the lack of variety in the scenarios... I just have to hit it again. I think this game is a terrible value. I paid full price for this because I was supporting my friendly local game store, and I felt like a fool for doing so. This game is a joke at $60. I I cannot believe that they are charging this much for it. The scenarios are repetitive. Two terrain types, not nearly enough. I see the same landmarks in every game. I see the same, like, tiny number of items I can build in every game. I see the same six night cards, not counting the four that you go through at the beginning turns. I see the same six night cards with their repetitive effects every game over and over and over again. And here's the biggest insult. When I saw this, I was like, are you kidding me? So we have like, I don't know, uh, 150, 200 small cards, which I'm guessing is where a lot of the price went for the game. But the thing is, because of how the randomizer works or their unique engine or whatever, a lot of the cards are duplicates for no reason. 
And they literally say in the rules, like, you might have some duplicates, just ignore them. So, like, I'll have, like, four number one cards, but you can only ever use one of those number ones. So they're just wasting my cards because they couldn't get their system right. So when I was already, like, realizing that I'd paid way too much for this game, that was just, like, kind of the final slap in the face. And it does all, a lot of it come to this whole unique concept, but I'm going to save that for our design discussion right after the review. But yeah, I just feel like this game is not <laughs> worth what you get in it. And I'll stop there because I want to save a little bit for my final thoughts. Yeah, and the, the most interesting part is sometimes it does matter. Like you might have four number 51 cards and all of them may be different effects and a little bit different to read. But you also may have four number 60 cards. And number 60 card could literally say you won and, and kind of give you your flavor text for winning. And you could have two of those, and they'd be literally exactly the same. There's no difference in text or anything. Well, I mean, I have two of those. It's not even a could situation. <laughs> I know you have two of those, and that's what kind of drove me crazy. I'm like, couldn't they figure out a better randomizer? Like, where you're actually getting duplicates of stuff, but only duplicates of stuff you'd want. Like, where they're each unique. And I don't care if two of the four of them are the same. I just don't want all four of them to be the same. Right, right. Uh, yeah, it's fine for the probabilities to be played with, but not literally the exact same card. Yeah, and some of them will even say, if you have multiples of this card, remove them from the deck because you're only supposed to have one. So I guess it would be too powerful if you could keep, like, keep going back to the same location. Well, uh, then why would they yeah. be included in the game? I don't know. Well, yeah, so, so kind of jumping off you, let me just go right into my final thoughts. I am kind of heartbroken by this game. And what I mean is, I think these mechanics are brilliant in a lot of cases. I love the survival feeling of this game. I played it multiple times in a row. But I wish they hadn't shoehorned in this unique idea. Again, we'll talk about that more later. I think it ruins the game in a lot of ways. Fantasy Flight is a company that has often been accused of cash-grabbing. I don't know if I've ever seen a game that I felt was as much of a poorly planned cash grab as this. I think they thought that people would buy like four or five or six sets of this, and maybe some people did. But I felt like I didn't get a full game. I I think this game... So here's the thing. I think this game has great mechanics. I think you should try it if you can find someone who owns a copy. And I think that it's going to go on sale because I'm pretty sure the sales are tanking <laughs> based on... I don't think the game is being successful at all based on the prices I've seen online and stuff. Uh, cool Stuff Inc. as of a sale they had, I think, recently. It might still be going by the time the episode airs. Had it for only $30, half off. I fully expect this to be like on the Fantasy Flight end of the year sale for like $15. If you can get it for like $15, $20, go get it. It is an amazing game for that price. If you kind of, basically, if it's priced like an unlock game or an exit room game, like something that is pretty much just a limited number of plays and then I get rid of it or trade it to somebody else, I think it's fine. The second you go above like $30, even I'd kind of question and anything above $40, no, you're not getting the value you need to get this game. So it just breaks my heart. I, I wish that they had treated the game better, made it expandable. I want to play with these mechanics more and more. And I kind of just get the feeling the game is going to die because they mishandled it so much and made it such a bad value. Well, if there's one thing we know that Fantasy Flight is good at, it's re-implementing their old systems. So hopefully they will either remove the unique element for it or figure out the story. I even think if there were four missions that were tied together better from the beginning and it wasn't like you're a random person waking up in a random place and go from there, I think if they had tied the story together better, you wouldn't be as upset about it. I, I mean, 60 is high. I agree with that. I, I don't necessarily think 10 or 15 is the right price. I think 30 would be fine. There are a lot of components in the box. There is some value in the play of the game. I do agree that there is a lot of repetition, though. And while I love most of the mechanics, it's funny because I think Gloomhaven got like four mixed or cons from me, yet I love the game overall. This one, I love all the systems in the game, as you were saying, but overall, it's going to be a little bit negative for me. I mean, I certainly feel like I would want to try somebody else's copy of the game, but you're definitely, I, I don't feel like the $60 value is there. But the mechanics themselves are pretty fun. I think you'll have a fun first couple plays through of it. And I think you'll have fun exploring what's in there. Just don't be attached to a huge story, you know, or expecting a huge story, at least in the set that we got. Who knows? Maybe if we had a new set, that would be completely different. 
Take that as it may be. Play, I would certainly say play it, especially if you're a designer. There's some really cool stuff here. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, it, it's a strong recommend to play. Just it's going to be on super sales all over the place. Buy it then. <laughs> yeah, and the biggest problem, and, and this kind of leads right into our unique game, or what is it? What are we calling this? I, don't, I mean, it's Fantasy Flight's the only one that's done it that I know of. So it's like, yeah, the, the idea that you have a unique copy of the game, that it has been randomly or like in a curated way different for your copy than for anybody else's copy. Yeah, so whatever we're calling this unique game, whatever it is, the biggest problem I have with it at this point is there's no real way to patch it. And Fantasy Flight is really good at patching their games. I mean, sometimes too good, meaning it should have been in there in the first place. But when they realize what the problems and and what the feedback is, they almost use their initial launch of games as like a playtest. And then they're like, all right, what are people complaining about? All right, let's go fix that with our first expansion. And because this isn't really expandable, because everybody's game is completely different, I feel like they don't have the ability to do that here. So I think with this unique game system that they've come up with, I think that's part of the big problem with it. Yeah, that's a great point that I had not thought about, but absolutely true. One of my biggest problems, <laughs> I don't know if there's going to be any positives here, but well, there, there might be some positives when we talk about Keyforge a little bit. But my biggest problem with this, or one of my biggest, is that it literally makes me furious as a designer of games. The idea that basically we have to create way more content and content of mediocre quality to be able to fill out this arbitrary decision that you're going to have all these unique versions of the game. We said the scenarios here are pretty subpar overall, and I have to imagine that's going to happen for a lot of them. There might be some great scenarios out there, but just, you know, right now we're designing uh, our final missions for our spare parts campaign. It's a nine-mission-long campaign, and we are slaving over each mission to make it unique, to make it exciting, to give it all kinds of like story beats and exceptional things that happen, and, and even variety within the missions so that if you play it another time, different stuff will happen. If some publisher was like, hey, you're not making nine missions, you're making 80, and we're going to randomly take nine for each gamer and give them just those nine, the quality would be terrible. We'd have to pare it down to the bare minimum, which is what they've done here. Like, you have, like, maybe two cards that actually relate to the scenario. So it doesn't even feel like you're playing a scenario. It feels like you're playing the exact same game. And, hey, here's one random thing that kind of makes you feel like you're doing something that connects. It's just so frustrating. It's like, I mean, here's what I said. I think I said this in either my video review or my written review on BGG. You know, as a designer, I'm going to curate the best possible experience I can for you. I'm going to take all the best elements I could come up with and throw out the rest. Okay, I'm not going to throw 200 event cards at you because I picked some arbitrary number and I want you to have 200 and half of them suck. If I can only get 100 good event cards, you're going to get 100 event cards. This game clearly set a different goal than that. And I know I'm not getting the designer's best work. I'm not even getting like the second tier work. I'm getting that third string, like throw some crud together, just put some words on a card and see if it sticks kind of stuff because that's the only way to make unique games like this where they're trying to have a storyline. I'm not saying all unique games, but a unique game like Discover, that's the only way to make them work, just to have tons of quantity at the obvious loss of quality. So I I am furious at this idea in any kind of narrative game that you're just going to not have something that's built in a careful way. You know, it's like the cookie cutter, like factory version of something like, hey, let's crank out 30 scenarios on the assembly line. It's hard for me to express how insulting I find it as a designer. And I agree. You're not going to get 100 great story cards. You're just not. The positive spin I could see with the unique game is not getting me to buy 50 versions of the game, but when I go to a game store or when I go to somewhere else, I can play somebody else's copy and I won't see the same stuff I would see in my own box. That, I mean, there's a little bit of excitement to that. It's kind of like that Magic the Gathering. I get to open something new. I get to see something new. But this is a campaign game. And so that's where it loses something, right? So... I'm not going to go to a game store and play four missions with you. I mean, the game is not that long, but it's not that short either. So it's kind of neat to see what other people's copies have and what they do. But 
I just wish that they had really focused the story a lot better than they did. And I feel like the reason it's not focused is because of this unique mechanic. Because you're having two missions on each terrain, and they can't really be that different from each other because you're using the same terrain. You're using the same event cards every time you go to certain spots on those terrain. So all of that stuff is going to be repeated, even if some of the story beats change from mission to mission. Well, you know, it's funny you bring up Magic the Gathering. Clearly, again, I think they want people to actively buy extra copies and make them more money for less content being given. But apart from that, like Fantasy Flight has led the way in getting rid of like the randomized stuff of Magic the Gathering, although they've kind of backtracked on some other game designs. But this brings back all like the major negatives of that stuff. Like, Think if I really want to see every terrain type and I just can't find Tundra. And I keep on buying sets of a $60 game, and I can't find Tundra. Well, that's where the secondary market comes in, right? Right. And, like, I should not have to rely on, like, the enjoyment of a game being the secondary market. So, you know, they have their LCG model. Have four different Discover releases. Have three, like, with two set terrain types and two set versions of the best campaign. Maybe not at $60, but I would have bought all three versions of the game if they were each $40, but I knew I was going to get the best version of each of those terrains, and I knew I would not get any duplicates, and, like, I knew what I was getting. I I could go in transparently and buy what I wanted. So, and again, this applies beyond Discover. Like, I don't like... I got out of Magic and all those kind of games. I only play the LCGs now because I want to know that I don't waste my money. I'm already frustrated, like, when I buy a Lord of the Rings uh, LCG core set and I have to throw away half the cards because I already have those cards and they screwed with the distribution to force me to buy more. This is like, you know, the idea of the unique game thing and I got to keep on buying to try to get everything if I'm a completionist, which a lot of board gamers are. I find it so like cynically selfish and greedy of them and I just don't like it as a concept. Well, you brought up something interesting. They probably could have done that because I think There are six terrains, so each box could have had two. And then there's probably just three different base scenarios in the games as well. So again, I think there is a story arc that goes through them, and they have a couple of those. So that is also a random element. You're going to get a different story element to go with different terrain. They could even do it in such a way that, let's say I bought all three boxes, they could go together. So I could use scenario... A, let's say, comes with two terrains, A and B, I could use that scenario A with box B and use it with those terrains in that box. So there is a way to do it so that they're transferable from one to the other. They easily could have done that. And then you're getting more replay the more boxes you buy. So that would encourage people to want to buy more boxes rather than this random model. Yeah, I mean, I, I would have easily spent 120 to $150 on this game Instead, I spent $60 and have angry feelings towards the company and want to get rid of my copy pretty quickly. So I don't see how that's good for their bottom line in the end. Yeah, so, I mean, I do applaud them for trying something different, and maybe it would work. And I will say I do think it's better in Keyforge, although the problem with something like Keyforge is, yeah, you can't go out and hunt rare cards like you can in CCGs and, like, spend all this money to get the best deck ever, but you really can. Because if somebody's selling the best deck ever, somebody else can buy it. So I know this, like, Four Horsemen set was supposed to be super powerful, and one of the decks had two of them in it. So that deck was going for, like, well over $1,000. So there are decks that are more powerful than others. You know, that's just obvious. Like, you know, when there are cards that are more powerful, not everything's going to be 100% balanced. The designers might not even know that going in. Like, what combos are broken, they, they may not know. The problem with this unique system, though, is the only way to really fix that. See, in Magic, they could ban one or two cards. Now they have to literally ban every deck that has those cards in them. Or they do what a lot of CCGs do anyway, which is called Power Creep, where every set gets more and more powerful. So you either ban old sets or you're just going to make things more and more powerful going forward. So I'm not really sure how they're going to do expansions with Keyforge. I did like the uniqueness of it. I did like that I never had to build a deck because for me, I don't like building decks. But I think that's where they lose a little bit is that the power of the decks isn't going to be balanced. They do have a system for balancing them, but I don't know how you regulate that. I don't know how you say this is a five-chain deck and this one's a one-chain deck. I don't know how they're going to determine that. If they can, that'd be great. 
So I do think it could work in that model if they find a good way to balance them. But for now, I think it's just, you know, frustration trying to figure that out. Yeah, I'm a little more friendly towards Keyforge as well, because at least there I see the uniqueness trying to address a potential problem for some gamers, which is, you know, I don't want to build a deck, but I don't want to have like a pre-con deck that's the same as everybody else's. I want to have something unique that I can learn and experience, but at the same time, I don't have to go through like the difficulties of deck construction and like tracking down all these cards and that kind of stuff. So there, you know, unlike Discover, where I feel like the unique aspect is actively going against the narrative and like one of the key points of the game, with Keyforge, I see like them trying to fix an issue. But I mean, personally, at least for me, I would, oh, you know, again, I would much rather have a curated set of like 10 decks that I can buy, like like Blue Moon. Look at uh, Reiner Knizia's uh, Blue Moon card game. That game's great, and they have like these really carefully balanced uh, races that tend to be fairly even against each other, but they all play completely differently. You know, I'm happy with that. I can buy the you know the ones I want. I can get all ten and mix and match them. I can have like matches against them. I've seen people on the KeyForge forums, and I'll say by the way, I have not played. Uh, Peter's played. I have not. So this is just kind of hearsay. But I've seen them complaining about, like, you know, they get a deck where a bunch of cards are referring to bears, and they boost bears and all the stuff with bears, and then they have, like, one bear in the entire deck. It's sort of the equivalent of Discover having, like, multiple copies of a card that you don't need multiple copies of. It just seems like, for, for all the good intentions of, like, the unique idea, it just seems like it kind of kicks the gamers who have spent their hard-earned money on the game in multiple ways, and... At least with Keyforge, I see maybe a potential benefit there, but not a greater benefit than tried and true methods of pre-constructed decks that I think work better. Well, and the bottom line is a Keyforge deck is only $10. I know $10 is still $10. You don't want to throw it away, but you don't feel like you've lost as much as you would here, I can imagine. Sure. No, I agree 100%. So, yeah, I guess if we're kind of wrapping this up, my advice to any designers looking at what Fantasy Flight is doing and thinking about doing it, I uh, don't. I I so far have, you know, e- even with uh, Peter trying to find a few positives that I can kind of see some merit in, I do not see any positives that are compelling. I think this is a bad idea. I think Fantasy Flight should not have done it. I hope they learn the lesson that it was bad, except maybe for Keyforge and other like minor card games where it's a small price to pay. And I hope that uh, no company ever does it again. So there we go. <laughs> Wow, so this was just the ranting design discussion. This wasn't really, like, any useful information for designers. This was just, this sucks, don't do it. Well, it's like, you know, if we had a design discussion on, like, player elimination, and should you have player elimination in your game? The answer is, no, you should not. It's a bad choice. <laughs> you know, should, should you have mechanics where players lose entire turns and have to sit there for a long time? No. <laughs> I think there are some things that are just, like actively bad for game design and this is a new one i didn't know it was bad but now that i've played it it's bad don't do it it's another (laughs) no-no well and to be fair i don't think this is going to be a designer's choice ever i think this is going to be a publisher choice nobody else really knows how to do it and again i wouldn't spend a whole lot of time if you're a publisher looking for ways to do it because i do think it's going to have the same magic problem except not magic itself because obviously magic is very popular look at every other ccg where are they right now like i think it's going to have the problems that they've had maybe one of them will do really well maybe keyforge will be that game that persists for years and years and years but there's going to be a lot of them that try and fail and i don't know that there is there's going to be a certain game that this works for and i don't know if we found it yet keyforge might be the one but, yeah, I think there's more ways to fail than ways to succeed. And I think you're having to create a lot of extra content, and especially as a designer, as you said earlier. The designer is the one who has to make all that extra content. It's not like you get paid more for making extra content. You're just making extra content to make extra content that may or may not show up in everybody's copy of the game. So as a designer, I would be frustrated. And if someone approached me with the idea of doing it, I would go in with a lot of hesitancy, if not outright denial like i'm not doing that yeah (laughs) agreed all right so thanks for listening to our hate-filled podcast today but hey discover some good feelings over there please consider joining our slack we have a link in the show notes so please join us again next week when steve and elijah will come at you with some brand new co-op news and a great review coming at you and thanks for joining us again on co-op cast (laughs) 
Thanks for joining us for another episode of Co-OpCast, your one-stop for cooperative game news and reviews. If you enjoyed this week's episode, please review us on iTunes. And while you're there, check out Mindless Fate. They provide our bumper music. Also, check out Colin on his YouTube channel, One Stop Co-op Shop, and follow us on Facebook at One Stop Co-OpCast. Finally, join our Slack group by emailing us at MVP Board Games for continued discussion on these topics throughout the week. Thanks for joining us, and we'll see you next week. So we didn't have any really funny bloopers this week, so I'm just going to add on this piece of gold that I always love listening to. Out of the ruins of games about zombies Can't make the same mistake this time We are the gamers who love Mad Max and Fallout We are the ones they left behind We just won a great game that feels fun and fast, fast For solo or co-op, we wanna have a blast We just need a few more backers We just need to find that way home Then we all can have fun playing Salvation Road We have found someone We can rely on We have the greatest fans out there Love and compassion Are all around us Our backers rock the most, I swear And they want a great game That feels fun and fast, fast For solo or co-op They wanna have a blast We just need a few more backers We just need to find that way home That we all can have fun Salvation Road So what do we do with our lives? We leave only a mark Will a story shine like a light? Our end in the dark Give it all of nothing We just need a few more backers We just need to find Thanks, guys. We interrupt this episode of Co-OpCast for this special announcement. Hey, Mike. Yes? I hope you discover a better game in two weeks. Oh, dude, I was literally thinking, like, I would do one to you and I would use a Discover pun. Nice. Great minds think alike. Buh-bye.